Support for Oyster World Radio comes from you, our listeners. If you would like to support the show, visit the link in the show description or visit patreon.com slash oysterworldradio. For only $5 a month, you get all of the behind-the-scenes coverage of how these random interviews materialize, plus some unique travel tips. So don't miss out and support the show today. More support means meeting more people that you would normally never meet, less travel headaches while on the road, and you get to learn the ins and outs of everywhere I go. Become a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash oysterworldradio. All the links are in the show description, and support the show today. Welcome to Oyster World. Oyster World. Radio. Hello, Oysters, and welcome to another episode of Oyster World Radio, the podcast where we broaden our perspectives by listening to the stories of people from all over the globe. I'm Nathan Lieberman, and in this episode, we bring on Monir. Monir was born in Morocco, but there was a major problem. What happens when your home criminalizes you for being who you are? Monir is gay, and being gay in a traditional country is never a good thing. His family wouldn't understand. His society wouldn't understand. And he could even be jailed for being gay. Yes, being gay is illegal in Morocco. So what the heck do you do? Monir's tale shows true grit and the willingness to fight for a better life. I can't believe the strife that this guy had to go through just so he could be himself, but it goes to show that if you keep fighting, good things can happen. And with that, coming from Paris, France, I hope you enjoy my conversation with my friend, Monir. So, Monir, welcome to Oyster World Radio. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Oh, we're happy to have you on. And it's a rainy, cold day in Paris Unfortunately, but the perfect time to record a podcast. Yeah, that's totally true. Well, the good news is you're an expert chef and you have been feeding me nonstop, making this very, very traveler very happy. Yeah, I was trying my best. (laughs) You're you're doing more than just trying your best. That Spanish omelet, I got to steal your recipe. Sorry, man. It was good. It was good. Yeah. No, there is, it's, it was great. It was delicious. But it, it's always fun to, meet couch couch surfing i don't know what it is i've been doing it all over the world but you meet just the most wonderful people i gotta say yeah that's what i love about couch surfing i've been doing it not as much as you have i mean two years extreme couch surfing (laughs) i've done it i think 15 times in the past four years but yeah that's what i love about couch surfing it's not the free couch nor the free food or it's getting to know people that you would never meet otherwise. Yes. Very well said. And it feels like you're visiting a friend. Yes. And that you've just never met yet. Yeah. And you end up making many friends. I, I think I, I made friends sure. through couch surfing that I'm still in touch with and that I visit when I can and they visit when they can, which is, it's awesome. It's awesome. Then you have this big international community. Yeah. So, and and that means that, uh, like many of the other people that I met along the road, we, we all of me and all the listeners now get to meet you yeah. through this little podcast that we got going. So let's get into your story and see let's. what happens. So you were not from Paris originally. You came from Morocco. Yes. I was born and raised in Casablanca and I've... Uh, 
only moved to Paris quite recently. Yeah. So more majority of your life was in Morocco. Yes. And so for people out there that's never been to to Morocco at all, can you give a general some something quick of what life was like there for you? Maybe when you were younger growing up. Well, I grew up in a quite traditional family. I would say that uh, when I was younger, I didn't know much about the outside world. I just knew my family and school and TV. Yeah. So (laughs) that's what Morocco has been like for me. Well, you were studying to become a doctor. Yes. And I think the entire world knows how rigorous that system is, no matter where you study. Very true. it's hard to focus on anything else when you're in med school without compromising your progress or grades or yeah. training. That wasn't the only reason why I didn't have uh, outside activities and contact with the outside world. It's just the way I knew how to do life. Yeah. The time. So why do you think you went into medicine to study and really faced this grind that I'm sure you knew what you were signing up for, but was it because you had no idea or the family or society was pressuring you to do that? Actually, I knew when when I was younger, much younger, I think I was 12 or 13 years old when I knew, just knew that I wanted to become a doctor. Uh, It wasn't something my family expected of me. I mean, they expected of me to do great studies and become a doctor or an architect or an engineer, something good according to their standards. Right. But there was no pressure from the outside why I chose to become a doctor. And to be honest, I didn't really know what I was signing up for. I mean, it was way harder than I expected. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) Now that you say that, it... Being a doctor sounds great until you have to read 500-page textbooks. Yeah. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's not about, just about... Aculus was the easiest, the easiest part. Mm. Uh, having to memorize millions of inf- information. It, the hardest part was the training at the hospital, uh, especially in Morocco, where the uh, medical system is not as advanced as... Western countries or the United States, for example. So you didn't have the resources. Yes, that... we didn't have the resources to to have the best training we could have. We had to work longer hours because of the lack of doctors and the lack of hospitals. So the number of patients that we had to take care of was we were it's easily extreme. out yeah outnumbered by patients. Uh, hundred to one. Yeah. So, so what was it when you were twelve that made you want to become a doctor? Was it a TV show? Was it a friend? What was it? Not really. I mean, I knew that doctors help people, so I I guess I knew that I wanted to help people, and the fact that doctors make their la- make money make enough money to live uh, a comfortable life helped as well. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, and I, I see this a lot in 
developing countries too. Just the money is a big issue because a lot of people don't have it and you come face to face with not having enough money to eat every single day with people. So is that, is that common that you go into harder studies just to make sure that you're supported? Yes. I I think that's true for the majority of people in Morocco or developing countries, as you said, uh, my parents weren't poor, but they have five kids and uh, I could see that yeah. they were struggling. Oh, five kids is a lot for anybody. Yeah, yeah that's, so that's I, tough. I knew that I wanted to, to make enough money to, be, to provide better to my children, for example. Mm-hmm. But mostly I just wanted to become a doctor because I was good at school and I could choose any kind of studies I wanted. I was accepted in engineering schools, uh, commerce, uh, finance, and architecture school, and I still chose the longest and the hardest studies. So yeah. I, I don't think it's just it's I don't think it's just about the money. It's more than that. Yeah, it runs something deeper. Yeah. So and it sounds like from there, it, you didn't have much time for anything else. You were studying. You were no. with your family, you, your downtime was your downtime. Maybe a couple, t- you didn't want to pursue any other hard thing. You're already dealing with this massive uh, academic load. So it was just a cycle almost. It seems like it just kept yes. rolling. And it, I think this is also an interesting twist to your story because uh, Morocco is a Islamic country and in developing countries tend to be more traditional mm-hmm. in, in their religious, whether it's Christian or Islamic or Judaism, it doesn't matter, tend to be more traditional. And you found out or realized that, that you were gay yeah, uh, in your late teens. And for someone that was a big part of their own family, what was that like? What was that discovery of yourself like? Well, at first... Uh, it took me a while to realize or accept that, that I was gay. And then when I realized with no doubt that I was gay, I the immediate reaction was a complete rejection and thinking this cannot be me. I cannot be gay because of religion and because of what my family would think of society would think it's even illegal to be gay in Morocco. Wow. So I, I risk going to jail for being gay. So yeah, that was the immediate reaction. So it must I, have been terrifying. Yeah, it was very terrifying. And but my immediate reaction was to try and be more religious and um, do what I'm supposed to do and forget what I feel inside. Hopefully it didn't last very long because I knew people uh, who are adult now and they've known they're gay for decades and they're still having a hard time accepting it. And in my case, I think it lasted uh, a year or a year and a half. It's still a long time. Yeah, well, it's a long time, but well, it is not as long as most people yeah so and i think it's really quite sad a lot of people that 
are against gay rights or whatever think that it's a choice. And I, the more people I talk to, especially you, confirming that it's not. It's just who no. you are. Why would you choose yeah. potential jail time? Exactly. Annexation from the society, possibly from your family. Why would anyone choose that? That sounds... People horrible. have no idea how horrible it is and how hard it is to accept what I am. And I realized that the more, the harder I try to repress what I feel, the, the more miserable I get. And I, I knew for a fact that if I keep going like that, I will just end up uh, killing myself or something because I, yeah. it's, it's, there's only so much a person can take. Oh, you're not, so you can't long. be yourself. It's yeah. suppressing yourself, your true self and for a facade that can have very catastrophic consequences Yeah, for a person, as you know, I <laughs> you know more than me. Uh, so th- this comes at a very tough time for everybody. Your late teens when so many things are changing, including not only your body, but your studies might get harder. You, yeah. your direction might change and you're dealing with this suppression of yourself. How, how did you get out of something like that? Cause some people just get trapped. I don't think I ever got out of, of that. I mean, it got easier. I learned how to live with it, but even though I accepted what I am, people around me wouldn't. So I, that's when I started having uh, a double life. I would say, because there's the image that people have of me and the things I think about and I talk about with other people, things I watch on the internet. I started to watch uh, American television, for example, and I knew that in other societies it's considered normal Mm -hmm. uh, to be gay. Or I've also watched a lot of movies that talked about the, the subject. Uh, young people, teens or young adults who who had to come out to their families and they have to face rejection. So I, I feel that I could relate to, to, to those situations. Yeah. But most of the time it ends up well for them. And in my situation, I knew that that happened, happy ending would never come. So yeah, that's... So you're stuck in a, in a catch-22. You see the outside world and, but you know that you can't uh, that that might be the way to go but you know that it might ruin the family ruin your dynamics the society's not ready for it where you are yes so you you see what what's out there and what's possible but you can't have it i think what what i was thinking and what most people think is that that's another world it's not ours so yeah it's there it's nice but it cannot happen in here. So I accepted what I am, but I also accepted that there is no way, no chance that I would have that at some point. So I started preparing myself to live alone for the rest of my life. Oh man. And that's a, (laughs) it's horrible. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's horrible, but 
And luckily, that didn't happen. So I guess that's a spoiler for the end of the story, but you are not alone. No, I'm not. And a lot of that started with your first trip abroad. So like you were saying, hearing about the outside world, you think that's their world, that's not my world. But then you went and actually put your feet on the ground in Paris for the first time. Yes. And what was that experience like? So I was 22 when I first uh, traveled outside Morocco. I had a bro- I have a brother who lives in Paris, so I thought I'll come visit. So I did that. And as you said, I when I came here, I realized that I am in the world that I've been reading about or watching on TV. Uh, and I realized that it's not that difficult for me to be part of this world. Was there a moment that you realized that? Was there a certain thing you saw or maybe just the plane touching down in Paris? Was anything you remember that really sticks out? Yeah, actually, it, the, the feeling wasn't immediate because I got here, I remember, on a Saturday, August the 1st, 2013. And uh, I spent the weekend, well, obviously I was in Paris, so I was amazed by how beautiful the city is. And uh, I was uh, in, it was a weird feeling, but it wasn't what I'm talking about. Uh, I spent the weekend with my brother and then we decided to go on a trip to Italy. And after actually five days after we got to Italy, that's when I remember a moment when uh, we were in Florence and uh, my brother decided to take a nap and I wanted to go out and explore. So I did that and I went out. I don't know if you've been to Florence before. Mm-hmm. So I walked to uh, the hill that overlooks the city and the Duomo. And I went there uh, just before sunset. And when I got there and I got the view, I just started crying. Uh, I had my sunglasses on so nobody would, I would just wipe the tears running down on my cheeks. I don't know. It was a mixture of feelings that I'm so happy to be here, but I'm also very sad because uh, I'm 22 years old and it's the first time I am experiencing life as I would like to experience it. And I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that three weeks later I will be back in Morocco and I will be back to real life. And that thought was terrifying and very saddening because it felt like I will have to put my life on hold again for, I don't know, at least 11 more months before I could I, I get to yeah. come back. Yeah, that was a moment that I will remember for the rest of my life because it was a very, uh, uh, it was something I remember clearly to this day. Yeah, it's, it sounds like everything came to a point. You've been suppressing who you really are in fear of what would happen. You've been hearing about this world, then you stepped into it and you could express yourself the way that you wanted to, but also that a dread of going back. And that's really, I mean, ter- that is truly terrifying to find what you're looking for and know that you have to leave it. And how did you get back on that plane and go back 
It was horrible. I was depressed for several weeks after I got back. I would, whenever I would go to sleep and wake up in the morning, I need a few seconds to adjust to the idea that I'm not in Paris and that I'm back in my bed in Morocco to my real life. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, I started dreading going to sleep because I knew that going, when I go to sleep, I dream about my trip and then I wake up and realize that it's over. Uh, It was really hard for several weeks, but then, yeah. Absolutely. And you had to keep carrying on in Morocco. You had studies to uh, become become a doctor, so not not easy studies, tense studies. And so what, what were the next steps that you took? Well, after several weeks of being depressed, I found out, well, I started find, looking for a way to continue my studies here in France. So I was kind of hopeful again because I knew that I could apply. And if I'm lucky, a year later, I'm here in Paris without having to go back to Morocco again. So I did that. Uh, it was eight months of horrible waiting. Yeah. A mixed feeling with dread and hopefulness. So, but then my hopes were crushed when all three of the universities I applied to rejected my application. So So that was a crushing blow. It was a crushing blow, but I still uh, came to Paris again for another month. So it was... It was good. You got a little bit of the taste, but it... I'm sure that moment when you got the word that all three said no, and you were so close, you were so close to getting what you want, and then it was ripped away from you. But I didn't give up, so I applied another time next year, and I tried to focus as much as possible on my studies, because I knew that if I don't get accepted right away, the key is to finish my studies as soon as possible, because the longer... I stay in Morocco, the the further my dream is. Yeah, further it becomes. So, yeah. So, so I applied a second time and I was re- rejected a second time a year later. Oh, man. So this just sounds like a war, a war for Paris. You are constantly fighting the systems to get to the life that you want and you can freely express yourself. And it's just, okay, so... You have to keep studying in Morocco and you have to keep applying. You get rejected. So you just keep going on and you just keep battling. You get rejected again. It, this time period seems just, I mean, like hell in a little bit and like a war. You, you're yeah. fighting, um, literally fighting for the life that you want. It was an exhausting fight, but I had to, to keep going. Yeah. Even when I'm exhausted and don't feel like fighting anymore, it would last a few weeks. Then I go back to it yeah so so it and of course medical school is such a grind that's many many years of studying so it's not like a three-year program no. it's it's five I'm, it's five years and then more on top of that yeah so it, it, it even in the face of possibly a long time before meeting your goal you kept moving forward and then you finally cut a break when you met frederick yes I got to a point where I started losing faith. So 
I mean, that sounds normal after all of this that you went through. Yes. <laughs> but I, I knew that I had to keep on going. I keep going on. Uh, I stopped applying to the universities, but I thought I will get my diploma. Then I could move here. So I stopped trying and I knew that I had two more years to finish my training and work on my thesis and present my thesis. Mm. Uh, that's when I met Fred. I was very lucky because... <laughs> and I always... This is a, a, a fun piece of the story where you've had a, some long-distance relationships in between from yes. people that you met in France. In France, yeah. And it didn't work, so normally you've proclaimed to the world that you are done with long-distance relationships. You're going to focus on your studies. That's exactly what happened. And, of course, then he shows up right afterwards. Yes. Yeah, that's, it's, it, He showed up literally a week after I made that decision, and that was... <laughs> Why does it work that way always? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was really comfortable about the idea, with the idea of being uh, alone and being focused on my studies until I finished. And then he showed up, and he was great. But still, it took me a while to accept or to decide that something good can could come out of this yeah so because you i mean the, this is the new focus of your life is getting getting this degree done and getting out and this might have the possibility of complicating things or who knows right you're still in morocco long distance didn't work before yes what about him made you keep going what? compared to the others well uh, he was, I would say, better, nicer. Yeah. Yeah, he was just a better version of every, everyone I've ever met. But also, long distance-wise, I knew, because my previous relationships, we would see each other every two to three months, that he would come to Morocco, Fred would come to Morocco at least every two weeks. So oh, we, wow, had a way, a yeah, we had a way of keeping the relationship alive. Yeah, so... Was it hard to keep that relationship going in Morocco? Because I'm sure that you had to hide it to a certain extent. Yes, uh, obviously. He, he would never come to my house or meet my family. But yeah, we would meet outside and spend time as friends. Yeah. Was that hard to go through that as well? Or did it reinforce the, well, the, the, the move to Paris? The hardest part was having to hide that from my family because my family knew that I didn't have any friends, or at least not many of them, that I w would never spend the night outside or just go out late or go out for a weekend. So, but then suddenly I was that person. Yeah, was, almost instantly. Yeah, it was very sudden and uh, I couldn't just lie or invent stories just to explain my sudden interest in going out and yeah. my sudden friendships. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that was uh, very hard for me and for my family, especially my mother, because when I was younger, I was close to her, mm -hmm. I think, because she knew everything about me. And suddenly I wasn't telling her anything about my life at all. Because I didn't want to make up stories about my life because I was traveling and I would go away for several weeks and then come back and not tell her about 
what I've been doing because everything I, ha- I have been doing is considered wrong. Yeah. Well, how could you without lying? Yeah. So my relationship with my family started to get colder and colder. And I think they were resenting me for it. But I thought that I'd rather them, I'd rather they resent me for that than resent me for the truth. So, yeah, which is an incredibly hard decision. Yes. So it, it, it seems like this double life that you're living while waging a war to go to Paris. Finally, you had two years and you've, you're starting a new relationship. And finally, those two years are up and you're here. So you made it, obviously. Yes. But what was that transition like when you finally started to make the move towards your dreams? It was like, it was a very uh, important change. It was a very important event in my life because it was a turning point. As I said earlier, it was going from completely hopeless to very hopeful. Yeah. Hope, hopeful for a better life. Hopeful for the life I have always wanted and thought I could never have. Yeah, that's how I put it. Yeah, it, it was, um, was that also a gradual transition of, wow, this is working or this is actually happening. It, yeah, it, I'm moving to Paris. Yeah, it was gradual. Uh, it was also hard because I had to struggle a lot with my thesis. Uh, I've been working on it for a long time and uh, my thesis director wasn't very available to, oh, great. <laughs> to work with me and to guide me through it. So it even took longer than we thought at first. So it was quite frustrating because uh, I was done with school. I had passed all my examination. I was technically a doctor, but I still needed that official thesis presentation to get my degree and be able to leave because otherwise I still had to go back to, to Morocco yeah. now and then. So the last year was uh, very stressful and frustrating. Because you were so close. You yeah. were so close. I was spending most of my time in Paris, but I, I knew every time I came, I knew that it was only for a few weeks before having to go back to Morocco. Yeah. again and I kept waiting for the day that I would pack my bag and leave without having to go back yeah and finally starting a life well finally permanently living a life I started or I was building in the past two years yeah and what was the euphoria when you finally defended that thesis and we're done it, it felt like a huge weight was falling off my shoulders. Like, oh, thank God. Yeah. It's done. <laughs> it, it took me a while to believe it because it was something I was waiting for for so long. It, it didn't feel like that anticipation could disappear suddenly after a few seconds. Yeah. It took me, I think, three to four days before I finally knew with with no doubt that I was finally done. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it took a second to sink in, a yeah, couple of days to I, finally I, realize. I, I even it took me a while to decide to book a flight to Paris because it didn't feel like I could just oh I'm done. 
yeah. from leaving. Yeah. It took me a while. It took me uh, 10 days to, well, I was waiting for my degree, but it, it wasn't just that. Uh, I didn't feel like I wanted or needed to, to leave right away uh, because I knew that I was leaving a life behind for good, a life that I've had for 27 years. Yeah. Uh, and what was getting on that plane like when you finally got the flight and you were, you're walking on with your bag? I was happy. It was a feeling I've never had before, I think. It, I was happy and relieved. I was also sad to leave, even though it was hard and I had struggled a lot, a lot in the past 27 years, but I was still sad to leave knowing that I might never go back. Uh, also, I was sad to leave without my family knowing that I was leaving. Oh, they didn't know. No, and they, well, they, at least they don't know that I'm leaving to have a life, to have a family yeah. with the person I love. It's Yeah, and that must be pretty hard. So, to, and to fast forward, 2019 is a, is a big year for you. You are getting married to Frederick. You are now living in a beautiful part of Paris. You... Uh, have a kid on the way with a surrogate from the U.S. Yes. So you'll have a, a little newborn here yes. in a couple months. In three months. So your life has started, but I guess the big question is, it seems like the family is really important to you. So what do you have a plan? What? Because I know a lot of people might be going through something similar. It's what a daunting task to try to reveal something that might hurt them, hurt you destroy your relationship, but also keeping in the truth might do the same. So do you have any idea of what you're thinking of doing? I, I know for a fact that I need to tell them at some point, the, the sooner, the better. But I still have a hard time finding, I guess, the best way to break the news to them. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, Is there a right way? Is there I, I don't anything? think there's a right way. There's definitely a wrong way. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. But uh, I, I know that I can't, I can't hide for the rest of my life. I wouldn't want that. Yeah. But I also know for a fact that they won't take the news uh, in a good way. The question is how long it would take them to get over it or if they will ever get over it. Yeah. Will they be Will they want to be part of my life from now on, or will they just try to forget they ever had a son? I'm not sure, and that's what I'm scared. Yeah. Of. Wow, what a terrifying thought. Yeah. You aren't exactly sure what's going to happen. And man, that's um, that, that, that's incredibly difficult. I, I give you a lot of courage to. <laughs> to not only face everything you've come this far, but this final hurdle, it, it'll be hard. But after hearing what you've been through, I, I know that you'll you'll face it with with grace. But I, I think that's a perfect way to to wrap up the show. Is now you've made it, you've 
Absolutely. In Paris, you did it. This is the place that you want to be. You can express yourself. Your life has started for you in a way that you could only dream about back home. And it's better than my dreams. <laughs> even better than your dreams. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about dreams a lot and how far away they seem. I know this trip for me seemed like such a far off dream until it was a reality. Yeah. And it took a lot of steps, not, not nearly as many daunting steps that it took for you. But I, I think a lot of people struggle with reaching what they want. And, and get through that really tough time where it is almost a war between the universe not giving you what you want and what you want. So for anyone listening out there, what advice would you give them as they struggle through that battle to get what they actually want? Well, I know this is going to sound cheesy, but I would say don't give up on what you want. It won't be easy, it will be horrible, and you will want to give up several times, and you will be depressed and demotivated, but as long as you keep going, there's always a way to get what you want, no matter how long it takes. Yeah, I think that's really important. It's just the moving forward, no matter how small it is, yeah. because it, it, will, it will crush you sometimes. Yeah. It is hard. Nothing is easy. And keep moving is a really powerful is a really powerful message. So I think that's a perfect way to wrap up the show. Munir, thank you for coming on to Oyster World Radio. Thank you for having me. Of course. And for everyone listening out there, thanks for tuning in. This was a really good one. And we'll talk to Munir soon. Thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Oyster World Radio. And thanks again, Monir, for coming on the show. Good luck with this crazy, amazing 2019. And keep us updated. Keep up to date on everything going on in the Big Sabbatical on Instagram at Nathan.Wanders and the blog of my partner in crime, Jackie Gishbacher at gishatawater.com. Check out the links in the show description for more information. Special thanks to Charlie Milliken for all of the Oyster Jams. Check them out on Spotify or at charliemilliken.com. That's M-I-L-L-I-K-I-N. Don't forget to support the show on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. At patreon.com forward slash oysterworldradio. For only $5 a month, you get all of the behind the scenes plus some unique travel tips. So don't miss out on upping your game as an expert traveler. Once again, all the links can be found in the show description. Thanks again for tuning into Oyster World Radio. We'll be back in two weeks. But until then, this is Nathan Lieberman signing off. I can't take control of my life If I'm too busy looking at the stars And thinking about all time that's gone by It's time for a change of my day-to-day 